we're going to read a story about an extraordinary meal. And in a few moments, we're going to participate in that same experience. The scripture passage of the day is from Mark chapter 14, 12 to 26, and Bob Forster is going to be reading for us. It's what we do here at TFRC. Scripture is central to who we are as a church. So if you're able, would you please stand and face the middle of the room for the reading of God's word. Mark 14, 12 to 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest rooms where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thank you, Bob. You, you can have a seat. <clears throat> you know, this, this was no ordinary week, was it? And now we could break into small groups and each tell our weather stories for the week. I have this thing about bad weather. I'm drawn to Main Street Twin Falls and I walk right down the center line of Main Street in the middle of the worst weather of the year. I love to do that. But then again, I work indoors and I've heard plenty of stories from dairy families. This has not been a stellar week for them and we really need to pray for them because it ain't over yet. But one of the things that's fascinating is that as we, as we come to this table, this is no ordinary meal either. And often we come to this place, and if you've grown up in the church, how many times have you taken communion? How many times have you come here and there's a little bit of bread and a little cup, and it may be grape juice, it may be wine, but nonetheless, been there, done that. And somehow the extraordinary is transformed into the ordinary. And we want to reverse the flow of that this morning to help us recognize this is no ordinary place. For starters, it's no ordinary host. And I'm not the host, by the way, of this feast. Uh, the host here this morning is, is Jesus himself. And we thoroughly know this story that Bob read this morning, and we know who stands before us at this table. 
Um, he's not a, f a friendly maitre d' at an upscale restaurant. He's not a server at a mid-scale restaurant. He's not someone who serves us at any fast food place in Twin Falls, as important as they may be to our lives. He's no paid caterer. This is the Son of God. He's no ordinary host. And that's why with this host, and often the greater the familiarity with the host in this moment, there's a growing awkwardness. There's like an awkward sense of gratitude because we know the price that was paid by the host so that we could sit before this, in, sit in this moment and celebrate communion. That here is a man, a God-man, who literally surrendered his life for us. He died for us. I think about this past week. There's a couple of guys that didn't die for me, but they sacrificed for me. I got stuck three times going home on Wednesday between church and my house. And those guys over a four-block stretch hung with me. They pushed me out, I got stuck. They pushed me out, I got stuck. I went to help my wife get unstuck, and I got stuck. And the guys were still there, and they pushed me out. I don't know their names. I didn't tip them, I didn't have any cash, but the fact is I owe getting home on Wednesday to these two strangers. And that to me was extraordinary, let alone someone actually dying for me. He's no ordinary host, and he's ready to serve you this morning. This is no ordinary table as well. Um, it looks like an ordinary table covered by a really slick cloth. I don't know if you've ever looked at the back of the communion table. I doubt many of you have, but there's a plaque back here, and on the plaque it says, glory to God in memory of Leland, it's either Petery or Petery, July 29, 1925 to October 7th, 1946. I researched this week the story of Leland, who died as a 21-year-old. And I would guess his family commemorated and memorialized his death by donating this table to the church. Perhaps Emmanuel Lutheran, 70 years ago. And in that moment, I can only imagine the agony and the the trauma of parents and family who lost a 21-year-old son, brother, friend. This table has been with TFRC since the beginning. The table was dedicated in 46, but 40 years ago, it became ours. And then we made the journey over to this building, the other building to begin with. And it always strikes me that um, Years ago, we were going to actually match the stain of this baptismal and the communion table to fit this room, but we haven't quite got around to it yet, and it's been about 15 years. But now I like it because it reminds me of the past. It reminds me of the ordinariness of the table and the baptismal. And the reality is that this table became incredibly special to a family back in 1946 whose son passed probably fairly suddenly. But that's not even what makes this table extraordinary. 
What makes this table extraordinary, it's just a wooden table. It's a heavy table, by the way, it's, it's heavy. But, and I'm speaking symbolically, is the table's ability to expand, to seat another person and then another person and another person. Going back 2,000 years ago, when Jesus brought lepers into his faith community, when he brought those on the outside looking in, when he brought the woman caught in adultery, when he brought the thief on the cross at his dying breath to the table to experience the reality of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, in this moment, in this room, with snow-covered roads raining as we speak, he still continues, does the host, to expand the table to include you and you. You don't have to be perfect to come to the table. You don't have to be famous, infamous, or a nobody. All are invited. Regardless of where you've been in the past, he expands the table. When you come to him, receive his grace, and suddenly this story becomes your story, and you not only remember, but you begin to relive what perhaps happened 2,000 years ago. This table expands with the good news and the love and the grace of Jesus. And there's a seat at it with your name. I want you to picture that. From a room with 12 young men, one of whom very soon would betray him, to this moment in a small corner of Twin Falls, Idaho, the table continues to expand. It's no ordinary table, and then again, it's no ordinary meal. And I remember as a kid, and I watched little children too, so disappointed when they have a chance to take their first communion and find out it's a wafer of less than an ounce, doesn't even taste good, and it's a little cup, the smallest cup they'll ever drink out of in their entire lives. And they say, is this all? And we say, yep, it is. It's no ordinary meal. My first year of seminary, I was uh, living on my own, really, for the first time, and uh, starting to cook on my own, and, uh, and I was fairly poor, and I was very Dutch. And so I went out to find the cheapest food I possibly could purchase that I was capable of cooking, and stumbled on, stumbled on this incredible deal, this box of macaroni and cheese. I don't know how much it cost, but I knew it was my price. And so I bought a, this, like a case, I think it was 24 boxes of mac and cheese. So you understand what my diet consisted of for the next month to month and a half, not joking. Mac and cheese for dinner. I had bread and PB&J for lunch every day. And I learned to put things on mac and cheese like hot sauce, like ketchup, I actually tried mustard, ketchup, and relish once and put it on a bun, thinking it worked for a hamburger. Maybe it works for mac and cheese. <laughs> and, and many other variations on that theme. To this day, I can't look at macaroni and cheese <laughs> and not get sick to my stomach. It's an overstatement. I've had mac and cheese probably half a dozen times in my life, except for finishing my kids' food through the years. 
And sometimes, sometimes, respectfully submitted, we come to this table, and I would argue we lean into the reality of treating this a little bit like macaroni and cheese. Been there, done that. Just an ordinary moment in the life of the church. If you're counting every two months, we do this together. But again, I want to point out, think about this host. Think about this table that expanded to seat you. And then this meal of a bread and a cup that represent the sacrifice of the life of the Son of God for you and for me. And suddenly this meal isn't so ordinary. It becomes extraordinary. If we come together like this at, with this extraordinary host at this extraordinary table to eat this extraordinary meal, it begs the question, how can we leave as ordinary people? And of course, that's the genius of the story of the gospel. That when the ordinary encounters the extraordinary story of the good news of Jesus Christ, people like us are radically transformed one degree at a time. And we felt pretty ordinary when we walked in this morning. Just reflect on how you came in this morning. I'm so grateful. I want to say again, I'm so grateful you braved the elements this morning. That makes you extraordinary. But aside from that, And unless you're a narcissist, have a messianic complex or something like that, you're going to feel pretty ordinary today. You dress like you ordinarily dressed. You travel like you ordinarily travel, only a little slower. It's all the same. You're ordinary. But then we come to this place, and we ordinary people recognize we've been forgiven and redeemed and called to change the world because we believe so much in what's represented here this morning. And quite honestly, our ordinary way of living still battles the extraordinary calling of Jesus and the command to love and forgive. Every one of us in this room is part saint and part sinner. Just depends on when you catch us. Even when we read the the story of the upper room and the 12 are gathered, they're about to go out and change the world, 12 minus one at least, plus one later. They were going to go out and change the world. Jesus was teaching and demonstrating the power of the good news of the gospel. He's he's demonstrating the power of servanthood. He serves and he cleans the disciples' feet. And then uh, Luke's version of the story, we read that the disciples start arguing about something, about who's going to serve the, the greatest or the greater. No, it's about who is the greatest. And so in the middle of this amazing moment, this extraordinary meal, the ordinariness still comes through. It's so human. It's so us. And so we come to this place, to this table, to this host. And the world constantly is telling us to consume. And the table and the host tell us to serve. The world tells us that only the strong survive. And the table and the host remind us that the meek will inherit the earth. Our world, our culture, our extended family, ourselves, 
allows for resentment, bitterness, and cynicism. And this place, this host, this meal calls us to forgive and to hope and to encourage purely motivated because of what happened here and what it represents and experience in God's grace. That's what we're doing here. And I'll bet you thought it was just an ordinary Sunday, but it's not. It's not an ordinary place with purple chairs in a heated room. I love our purple chairs in the heated room, but that's so ordinary. You have come to a place, literally and symbolically, where you have an opportunity to encounter the living God through his son and through his spirit's presence. And my prayer for you for the next few minutes is that this might be an extraordinary experience for you. Not because of anything I'm saying or anything we've sung or will sing, but simply because the table has expanded for you. Let's pray. Father, your spirit works in strange ways. In some ways, you've prepared us out of an extraordinary weather week for an extraordinary moment before you. So Lord, soften our hearts. Allow us to experience your grace. Lord, hold us accountable as well. If there's things we need to take care of before you, business we need to take care of, God, help us resolve that now especially in this place, especially with Christ as the host, especially with the meal we're about to share. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity of this extraordinary moment and this extraordinary meal. In Christ's name we pray, amen.